0: but it is that wake up call i think that we're all getting at this stage of life where we kind of just go wait a minute the party's over <laughs> but we're still going yeah right yeah. and that's how, that's what it was for me i was literally sitting on the couch drinking i wasn't going out i mean we would we would be of course at holidays family get togethers every event that ever was social or you know anything that i could do to drink through i would do i mean that, i used alcohol to get me primed before I went during coming home from anything I was still drinking you know it was just that alcohol was the center of my attentions
1: welcome to the tribe this is your weekly podcast from tribe sober whether you're already sober striving to be sober or just plain sober curious you need a tribe you need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 72. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and thrive in their alcohol-free lives. Over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our Slack groups.
3: Good morning all. Um, my Friday win. Today is day 146 for me. Wow, actually I can't believe I, I did it. I actually did it. I'm in Armanis at our holiday home, an old battleground for me. Um, Coming here for weekends was always filled with an equal amount of excitement and dread. Excitement um, for the little rituals of eating out and drinking, but that was accompanied by dread because I knew it would inevitably be filled with guilt, shame and regret for what would follow those jolly occasions. And now here I am on a Friday and I'm free, I'm completely free. I'm joyful, happy, content, and I still enjoy all those occasions, but I actually can remember them, and I leave you feeling proud and content at the end of the weekend. It's so worth it. So thank you, Janet, and this tribe for giving me the support to do this.
2: Onwards. If you want to learn more about our international community, just go to tribesober.com and hit Join Our Tribe. This week's podcast guest is the lovely Laurie Massicott, who's a midlife sobriety coach. I discovered Laurie when I found her awesome podcast. It's called To 50 and Beyond, and it's a podcast aimed at women in midlife, and she highlights the beauty of aging and the freedom that comes along with alcohol-free life. Laurie is on a mission to raise awareness towards the life-changing impact of sobriety as we get older. She interviewed me for her podcast, and you can hear that conversation on episode 182 of 250 and beyond. I'll put the link to that podcast in the show notes. So let's get back to Laurie. I began our conversation by asking her to introduce herself.
0: Thank you, Janet, for having me. This is amazing. Uh, So I live in Southern California. I've lived here all of my life, so almost 54 years. And I have a son who is 20, and I've been married to my husband Bill since 1999. And we have a sweet pup named Beatrice. And yeah, we're just uh, really just enjoying some simplifying of life at this stage. And, you know, of course, sobriety lent to that
2: (laughs) big time. So let's, uh, let's explore the drinking a little bit, shall we, Laurie? Um, What age did you start drinking? Were you a teenage drinker?
0: Yes, I was. I was uh, about 14, so it was around 1982-ish and I started drinking uh, a little bit before that, even just with my friends. I mean literally walking to junior high school, which is you know middle school now, but uh, we would take a little sip of some hard alcohol that my friend put in her her backpack and uh, probably got out of her parents' liquor cabinet. And by the time I got into the 10th grade, I was going through a, a club, kind of uh, like a rushing of a club. Even in high school, we had these clubs where we would rush, kind of like college, you know, sororities and stuff. Um, <laughs> and there were parties and drinking. And, you know, I just, that was it. The, the first time I remember being at a party, I was super nervous to be at. Uh, my friend and I split a bottle of pink champagne and I had one glass and I thought, Oh wow, I feel I feel amazing. I'm not shy. I, I don't feel awkward. I feel like I can just be myself. And I really hung on to that for 30 years. Yeah,
2: I, I remember the first time I drank as well as a teenager. And it, it feels like a magic potion, doesn't it? It's, it's, oh, I can do anything as long as I've got plenty of this around.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. I, I mean, honestly, I remember, Janet, just thinking this is how I will live the rest of my life. This is the answer. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: <laughs> Far from it.
2: So from uh, it. talk to me about how it developed over the years. <laughs>
0: Goodness. Well, I I always look at it as a decade. So in my teen years, I hung on to that. I did a lot of drinking, uh, a lot of drinking. I didn't do well in high school. I kind of dabbled in going to college after that. And I've decided I'm just going to go work full time. So I got into a full time job in the real estate industry. And at that stage, I was about 19 or 20. And they were paying really good money. I, I really got into it. I I enjoyed it. I was learning a lot and I was still drinking. I was still partying it up. You know, I was that gal who could stay up until three in the morning and get up and go to work at eight and still be kind of buzzed. I mean, that's, you know, and that was in my, my, all of my twenties almost. Uh, so I really started this career. I was working full time and, uh, I was partying it up in my twenties. I, I have You know, great friends that we did a lot of fun things together. We traveled, we went out all the time, Um, and then as I got into my late twenties and I met my husband, uh, we got married. Uh, I was thirty-one when I got married, and I had my son at thirty-three. And you know, it took a turn after that (laughs) um, because I realized I was still in that career that. at that point was driving me to drink. It was a very um, toxic environment. I I don't like to use that word often, but it just was, it wasn't right. It wasn't suited for me and my personality. Definitely. I was not meant to be working in a job that was so high pace um, because I, I really held on to, well, I'm making a lot of money. So this is what people do. We feel miserable in our jobs. And we just get through it because we need the money. And I was spending that money, like, the, the second it was coming in. It was just going out. Uh, but in my 30s, after I had my son spent, I was um, really feeling a lot of depression. I had um, – I put on almost almost 60 pounds with my pregnancy, and I was already heavier than I, I wanted to be when I got pregnant. So I struggled. I had always struggled with food anyway. That food came first before alcohol. Um but I realized that I was really depressed in my body, in my career, in, in everything. It was carrying over into my marriage. And um, then my late 30s, I realized that now looking back, I was starting to enter perimenopause. And I didn't know it at the time. I really didn't find out until uh, I was around 42, 43 that it was, well, yeah, 43, um, that it was perimenopause, but I thought, you know, something's just not right. I just don't feel right. The amount of alcohol that I'm drinking, I I needed more. I wasn't going out partying anymore to the bars. I wasn't really traveling. I was at home. I was being a mom um, to the best of my ability. And I was working in a job that I really hated. And uh, a lot of that just, it was just that vicious cycle, you know, that we get in, like, this has to be the answer. This has to be my release. I need that that way out. Um, and then in my early forties is when my mom passed away at, when I was 42, she passed away within nine months from cancer and I just spiraled after that. And so my forties were just really dark. They were very dark. And I started to realize, uh, at around 43, because one of my family members suggested that I may be an alcoholic. (laughs) Um, how did you say that Laurie? Did you say what? (laughs) I was was (laughs) in a bar. Yeah. I was in a bar and I said, no. I don't drink every day. You know, I, I don't, I'm not physically addicted. I could take days off. I had all of the excuses, right? Um, but the truth is that it do, it didn't matter when I finally quit at 45. It didn't matter what I was, but I spent a good two years, Janet, really challenging that. Like I am not, I cannot be, but it is that wake up call. I think that we're all getting at this stage of life where we kind of just go, wait a minute, the party's over, <laughs> but we're still going. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what it was for me. I was literally sitting on the couch drinking. I wasn't going out. I mean, we would, we would be, of course, at holidays, family, get togethers, every event that ever was social or, you know, anything that I could do to drink through, I would do. I mean, I used alcohol to get me primed before I went, during coming home from anything i was still drinking you know it was just that alcohol was the center of my attention i think
2: that our the habit gets so deeply entrenched doesn't it cuz you know i was like that in my 20s and 30s i was drinking socially But then I started using it as a coping mechanism, you know, when I got home just to switch off from work, drinking alone. And that's, you know, how my 40s and 50s went. And then you find yourself becoming more and more dependent. And the only time I realized what, a lot of trouble I was in was when I tried to cut down. <laughs> I couldn't contemplate the thought of stopping altogether, but I just tried to drink within the so-called safe limits, which are the British ones—the uh, one and a half bottles of wine a week—and I was putting that away every evening. So that was that was a struggle, and I didn't, I couldn't do it at all. But did you try to cut down before you stopped?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like what you just said. Cause it's kind of like a shock, like all of a yeah. sudden, you know, it's like, Oh, well, wait a minute. When we start questioning it and looking at it a little bit differently, like it, uh, for me, I just felt like, how did I not see this sooner? And i really hung on to that for a really long time, beating myself up, like, especially after I quit. But yeah, I tried to moderate. There was, um, only drink red wine, not white wine. That was my thing because I didn't really care for red wine as much. I couldn't drink as much of it, that's for sure. Um, or drink beer. My my go-to was wine and champagne, like high-end, pricey stuff. I loved it, you know. Yeah. Um, so you were a classy <laughs> drunk. I was a classy drunk, yeah. <laughs> Especially when I was blacking out and, you know, throwing up and on the bathroom <laughs> floor crying and, you know, didn't yeah. know why. Oh, the crying, yes. <laughs> I remember the crying. <laughs> really it's classy, fun. Yeah. really classy. But, um, and I say that with so much love for people who are going through that because, you know, we can, we I can laugh about it now, definitely because I'm talking about myself, but it's not a fun place to be in. And it's not a place that anybody deserves to be in. Um, and especially at this stage of life, we should be out there living our life and being free from anything that is tethering us. And that's what I felt very tethered to alcohol. Um, and I really did start to question like, Huh? (laughs) Well, I don't think it's what I thought it was. I don't think that I am who I thought I was. I don't need it. And that came into play much later after I quit. But I really started to get to the point where the rules weren't working. I couldn't moderate. It was so exhausting. And, you know, we just end up disappointing ourselves on repeat. So it's just that is the lowest of lows. Like, I feel like, you know, so many women will ask me, How, did you hit rock bottom? Like I had so many rock bottoms in my drinking career. Yeah. Not the night that I quit. I was literally watching a Lifetime movie with two bottles of wine in the fridge waiting for me. I was at home by myself and I just thought, this is never going to stop. There's never going to just- be enough.
2: Is that the night you poured the chardonnay down the sink? <laughs> yeah. it was so dramatic <laughs> it was
0: about that. Yes. it was very dramatic. But I'm, again, I can laugh about it now. But I wasn't laughing about it then. I was crying and I was thinking, uh, you know, this is this is me. And so this is another thing that's really important. It's like I, I wasn't an everyday drinker, so I that all of those justifications were were coming up for me. Like I thought the stereotypical alcoholic or somebody with a problem drinking was just what we learned when we were kids, you know, an older white man who, you know, is bloated and red and puffy and drinking all day. Can't hold a job getting arrested. You know, I wanted to say that's not me. And that was very important to me until that night when I just realized it doesn't matter. (laughs) It just doesn't matter. I can't keep going like this because really two bottles wasn't enough in one setting. And I just envisioned myself living out my life and being in my seventies and, and, on up, if I made it that long, thinking, "How much will I be drinking then?" So yeah. I did. I I already had one bottle open. I was a glass or two in, maybe, and I poured that down. And I opened the other one. I thought, "You got to just get rid of it because you can't have it at home." And I stood there and I thought, "Well, you're not going to drink anymore." That's what I was saying. But the the side of me that was, you know, where I lived most of my life was no discipline, no willpower. You're never going to keep your word to yourself. You're never, ever going to do this. So stop kidding yourself. But I just went with (laughs) whatever it takes. I'm not going to drink.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
0: Yeah, yeah, well...
2: I like that. I like the way you poured it down the sink. You made such a gesture. And then you uh, you played the movie forward, as we call it, which is really effective and clever, I think, because you thought, if I carry on doing this for another 20 years, what kind of state am I going to be in, you know, when I'm, I'm 70? Because really, we've got two paths ahead, haven't we, of our lives? We can either go this way and carry on drinking and become more and more dependent, or we can try sobriety, which is an adventure. We've got no idea how it will turn out. But for most people, it seems to turn out extremely well. So apart from pouring your expensive wine down the (laughs) sink, how else did you stop? What other methods did you use?
0: Well, at the time, you know, and I'll be really transparent about this. I talk about it a lot. But, you know, I felt a lot of shame. And so I never ever thought that I would talk to anybody about the fact that I was going to be sober, right? It was just going to be something I would take to the grave and I would just bow out of all of the invitations and everything, you know, nobody would ever know. And I was not willing to go to AA because again, that was, you know, my, the myth that I had of AA and I've never gone, but I know that it works for a lot of people. But the myth that I had back then was, you know, me standing up in a room um, that's what I was envisioning and th- you know, that's what can happen as well. But I was just thinking there's no way I am way too shameful for this. So I'm going to do it on my own. And back then in 2013, when I quit, I didn't know about blogs. Uh, I think I was on, I was on Facebook, but I wasn't on like Instagram. And if I was back then, I was just looking at like celebrities and stuff. I didn't know there was like your average people on Instagram posting. I was very much out of the social media loop. And so what I did was I had started journaling in May of 2013 and I started journaling for perimenopause. So I wanted to write down like all of the things that I was experiencing, how many, uh, et cetera, And I took in one day and, you know, my cycles, all of it, I, I tracked everything. That journal is one of my best reads right now. <laughs> I just read it the other day. Uh, but I started asking in the journal, why are you drinking so much? This is not good for you anymore. And that really led me to open up more of that questioning to myself instead of always like going back and ruminating over what my family member said to me because I wanted to challenge that so bad. And when I started writing in this journal, I thought for the first time I was seeing my thoughts on paper and I was writing little notes to myself. I have all these notes that I was writing to myself, like, please stop please, you, you deserve better than this. Your Spencer deserves better than this, my son. And that's really what led me to August 11th, 2013. And so after that, I just picked up the journaling. I, I really used that as number one tool for me. And then something that I had been very con- inconsistent with my entire life was exercise. So uh, I went to the gym, I got a gym membership, And I started going and I realized that I'm never going to go to the gym if I just get in there and do the treadmill um, without any kind of intention or purpose. So I started researching YouTube videos on how to really change your body in your 40s during perimenopause. I was very interested in perimenopause. I became a student of it because I was having all of the symptoms, um, the experiences, I will say. And I felt like my anxiety was heightened. And so, anything that I could do to calm myself down without drinking, I did. And so, uh, I just really started to, I think, become a student of myself. I think that's the best, the best way to put it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think education is so important, isn't it? Because the more we understand about alcohol and the toxin that it is, the the less we really feel like putting it in our bodies. So yeah, I think learning and I love your journaling. I mean, we always say to people, we have a little toolkit that we share at our workshops and, you know, exercise is a big one, daily exercise, but journaling, certainly, you know, and I say to people, go out and buy a beautiful notebook and make that your sobriety journey. And inside um, the, the cover, write down your reasons why you want to give up drinking because people have such important reasons. I mean, you've mentioned your son, you know, your marriage, your health, they're big things, you know, they're not just minor things. So I say, write your, your reasons down there. And then in the back of the journal, Uh, write your blacklist and the blacklist well it's quite fun it's it's kind of fun (laughs) until it's not but we suggest that people if you know like me they've had um, quite a few experiences um, when they've had too much to drink you know like passing out or blackouts or something just write them down and then because we always start off on this journey very motivated, but after a while we think, oh, you know, this is a bit tedious because it is difficult at the beginning, I'm sure you remember. So I say to people, you know, go to your journal and look at your why list and then go to the back and look at all the the bad things that happened when you were drinking because we tend to – romanticize after a few months we think back and we think well maybe i wasn't that bad and and actually you know those parties were fun <laughs> so i think it it helps you to stay grounded and of course you know processing your emotions and and you you mentioned reading back didn't you and i think that's great to read back on your your sobriety journal and think oh it was so difficult in you know, week three, but here I am in uh, month four, and it's it's much easier. It gives you that big picture, doesn't it? It Gives you perspective.
0: Definitely, yeah. And I love all of that that you just said about journaling. It is so important. And I feel like you know, back then, like I, there weren't a lot of books that I knew of. I read Caroline Knapp's "Drinking a Love Story." I read that on repeat. And there's another book called "Mommy Doesn't Drink Here Anymore," and it's a Kindle book on Amazon by Rachel Bronwyn. Um, But if you just went into Amazon and and searched, mommy doesn't drink here anymore. It was so helpful to me, those two books. So now looking at all of the quitlet that's out there, all of the podcasts that are out there, the blogs, the community on social media, what you're doing with Tribe Sober, like all of that, there's so many options. Um, But I also feel like people get so overwhelmed by it. So I think that just finding something that is simple for yourself that you enjoy doing is key. And yeah, journaling for me, I I was just doing it before we got on here, because it's just a way to, you know, especially as we age, we we get this kind of, um, I want to say foggy brain, (laughs) a little fogginess, especially if you don't sleep, right? It's like, wait a minute, what am I doing? You know? And just writing everything down, like, oh, okay, I feel so much better after five minutes of journaling than I did if I hadn't have grabbed that journal. So it's just making yeah. that time. So, yeah, it's powerful. Yeah,
2: well, there, there's, there's been a lot of research into the benefits of, of journaling, and they say it's, it's as good as having a therapist. So I mm-hmm. say to people, well, have yourself a therapist, and if you've already got a therapist, why not have two? <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah. Yeah, you can do anything. You could do this with so much support and then also always remember that you have to be your own support you have to have these tools in place for yourself but only the ones that you enjoy doing cuz you know it's just like one other thing it's like a prescription for journaling or a prescription for exercising or a prescription for that like just make it your own and and yeah. have fun with it you know there's so much to uh, a lot of my friends do creative practices you know just getting in and doing art therapy with yourself and and music is huge for me music was it's always been huge for me but in my recovery when I went to the gym I was blasting music in my ears that was really just boosting up that dopamine and I was feeling it you know and and the more you do that kind of stuff and add joy to your life you don't feel as as deprived with removing alcohol it just becomes it just becomes really really quiet and it just starts to fade away into the background where it should be
2: yeah, yeah, you need to create your own sober your personal sober toolkit, don't you really? Because we're all a bit different and it's it's nice to pick and try try everything I say to people and just settle on what works for you and exactly. and use it for that that first year. I mean, I, I my experience and all the hundreds of people that we've worked with now is that really you have to make it a priority for six months, really. And then, you know, gradually it gets easier and easier. And once you've nailed that first year, most, most people are pretty pretty strong because uh, by that time we've, we've discovered all the benefits of, of being sober. And you do need to get quite a few months under your belt, I think, if you've been drinking for decades, clean your body out, change, you know, your thinking, your, your brain will start to heal and you'll feel like a different person. And you've been sober, Laurie, haven't you, for eight years now? Mm-hmm. So,
0: what are the main benefits for you? I feel so much peace <laughs> and calmness just knowing that I am in charge of my anxiety. I am the one that can calm myself. Um, there's a lot of freedom in that. So, I feel again, you know, walking away from alcohol, I felt like, oh, well, shoot, what am I going to do now when I'm anxious? And I know what to do now. It's it's very simple things for me, and so that's huge for me because I battled anxiety my entire life. I lost my dad when I was eleven unexpectedly, and after that, I just went into just went inward, and I felt very socially anxious. I I felt like when he passed away, I kind of muted myself a little bit. Like I was very I was scared. I, I, that's how I can describe most of my life. I was scared, you know, I was always waiting for something to happen. And so now I just know that life is happening because life happens, right? I mean, my goodness. And and I can handle whatever it, it throws at me. So I think just that and, and really the time that we get back so much more time to not waste through, you know, thinking about drinking and over drinking and then the effects of alcohol, that was huge for me. I was writing in my journal, you're you're completely erasing days from your life. (laughs) You know, these are days you're never going to get back. And so I find a lot of freedom in that. And I could go on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) On on We we could have an entire episode, couldn't we, on the the benefits, but uh, we'll
2: settle on that for now. But yeah, I love everything you said, especially the kind of strength that you feel now, because I think we get a sense of, well, if I can give up drinking, you know, because you look around and everybody seems to be drinking. If I can do this, I can do almost anything I, I set my mind to. I think it gives us deep confidence.
0: Heck, yeah. I think it, it's so character building and we don't realize that in the beginning and, and really focusing on everyone drinks, that's what you're always going to focus on. If you yeah. really start focusing on yourself and all that you can do when you stop drinking, man, it's going to change your life. It just yeah, will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at us, podcasters. I never would have done that while I was
2: drinking.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't no, I have didn't even like to Talk on the phone to my family or friends. <laughs> like, I don't like talking on the phone. I don't like talking to people. That's how shy I was. So yeah, <laughs> who knew?
1: Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at Tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at Tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation.
2: So uh, talking of podcasting, let's talk about yours for a moment. It's got a great name. Uh, Is it 250 and Beyond? 250 and Beyond. I always say that uh, ditching the booze is one of the very best things you can do for yourself as you get older. Would you agree with me on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's the best time. I think it's the inevitable time. I think that if we push ourselves as we age, then, you know, it's the tolerance is building up. And like I said earlier, you know, two bottles wasn't enough. Where are we going to be in 10 years? Where are we going to be next year? So I really do think it's the inevitable time. Our bodies are changing. Our minds are starting to to set up a little bit more and say, "Well, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought it was anymore." And what does that mean, right? And that's when that panic sets in. Like, and we want to look at the external side of it. Like, what will people think? What will I say? What will you know? And uh, I sent an email out to my email community yesterday. And the one thing that popped in my brain when I woke up yesterday morning was, "What do I really want women to ask?" And it was like, cause I get emails all the time, you know, the, the same questions that I had, you know, what do I tell people? What will people think of me? What will I do? All of those questions. I thought, what do I really want women to ask? I want women to ask, how can I make sobriety the best experience I've ever had in my life? You know, because that's actionable when we're looking at all the outward stuff, you know, like what will people think of me? I think that we're just really missing out on all of the opportunities that we have when we quit drinking and to stop focusing on that.
2: It's not our responsibility to make people around us feel comfortable about their drinking you know we must do what's right for us and these women writing to you saying oh what will people say i mean it just shows how messed up society is doesn't it don't you think you know the fact that we're bombarded with all this marketing about how wonderful alcohol is the way it's in every single tv program and and movie and the way that if we're not drinking people think we're, we're a bit strange
0: I think it's changing, honestly. But I do want to say that no matter what age we are, we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We definitely don't want to be shunned (laughs) and talked about. You know, I thought when I quit drinking, that's it. I'm not going to get invited places. And it's happened. And I'm still standing. I mean, it's happened. It's never a reason for us to keep drinking because no matter who it is, I always think, who's going to be by my deathbed at the end of my life? If they're there, they're not going to care if... I did something to change my life. They're going to actually support me. And and it's been true in my life. So we have to stop thinking of people as like these faceless people that we don't even know, society or, you know, being at a party and meeting somebody for the first time and telling them you don't drink. And why do we care about their reaction? Why do we care about what they're asking? You know, it's really, the thing is, like we talked about, you got to quit drinking and, and build yourself up before you get that confidence. And it's validated to feel like that. I felt like that for a really long time. 250 and beyond is the name I created on Instagram as an anonymous Instagram account where I could go on and start talking about sobriety and my weight because I was trying to lose some weight. And that was in 2015, two years after I quit. So 250 and beyond was me not telling my friends on social media that I was sober. And uh, that's how I I kind of got into the community. And then 250 and beyond also was, uh, came to me, I think in the shower one day, because I was trying to get in the best shape of my life by the time I hit 50. And I think at the time I was 47, 48. And so I did that. I absolutely did that. And then the the name just stuck. So that's where the podcast came from.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a great name. And it's I think it's broader than just sobriety, isn't it? Because I've listened to a few episodes, you talk about other stuff of interest to to ladies of, of a certain age, as the French would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's really about midlife. But you know, yeah. so much of, of what sobriety entails is what we talk about there, because it's so much more, you know, that's why we just can't get in these stuck in these conversations just about drinking. We are so much more than that, you know, and I really do believe that. But a lot of it about sobriety because there are a lot of women out there who are are really at odds with themselves right now trying to make this work and i say why don't you work on your relationship with yourself and and leave the one with alcohol in the dust for a bit
2: Yeah. yeah yeah and i'm sure that's the kind of thing you say in your sobriety coaching tell us a little bit about that you know how did you get into that and why and how does it work
0: I think that, you know, how I got into it was listening to a lot of podcasts and that's where the podcast started. So that was back in 2017. I was really into listening to podcasts. And by 2018, I started my podcast in February and I started just opening up. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this podcast I didn't put it out there to anybody like, you know, normal podcasters do. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to go and record it and I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And then people started to find it. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to open up about this. So I, I finally did, you know, on Instagram. I don't think it was that much longer after I started it, but I had this idea. I'm just going to do it for maybe 10 or 12 episodes and, you know, see how it goes. I want to talk about perimenopause. I definitely wanted to talk about drinking and sobriety. And it just, I won't say it blew up. I'm very niche in my, in my category, as far as, you know, midlife women, that's who I talk to. Um, but I realized that there's a need for it. You know, there's definitely a need for that, that conversation. So I kept going and I started thinking, you know, I can help women with this. I could definitely help women with this. And a couple of people reached out to me. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, let's try working together. And You know, I had already been um, kind of doing the health and wellness type of coaching. Um, I went on to get a certification in nutrition coaching and the sobriety, I can't get away from it. Like, it just lights me up. I really want to help women figure this out and and move on. So we work on what's next. You know, what's next? Like, it's just, that's why I said, it's not just about our drinking. We're so much more than that.
2: Yeah. And how can you do nutrition uh, coaching without mentioning (laughs) alcohol? Because
0: I I know a lot of women,
2: I was one of them that I was fanatical about, you know, eating organic and gluten free and doing yoga and exercising. And then I had my bottle of wine every evening. So, you know, it's not congruent, is it? It's.
0: Oh, no. And I think, too, yeah, with the marketing of alcohol, like you were saying, and it being on TV and stuff, when I come across anybody who's promoting health and wellness, and they're bringing alcohol into it, I just, I don't take them serious. Yeah, you know, I, w- I just wouldn't. But we know that a lot of people don't know that. And I honestly think it's, it's lack of education in yeah, what yeah. alcohol truly is. Have you seen wine with yoga? That's a new one I spotted the other day. I just, you know what, I think I've just got my blinders onto that kind of stuff anymore, but (laughs) I've heard about it. And I think one of the nice things about getting
2: sober, one of the many nice things is we can watch, you know, the movies with the drinks in and and watch the adverts. And we just see right through it, doesn't it? It's completely lost its power on us. Whereas we used to, well, it used to give me a little craving, you know, if someone was having a nice drink on TV, I'd immediately walk to the fridge without even thinking about it. But now it's just okay. I might have a cup of tea. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I like how you said that we could see right through it. I think that's what it is, because I do hear from many people who say, I can't, you know, it's everywhere. I can't watch TV. I can't. Well, don't watch it then. (laughs) If it's triggering to you, you're going to be okay. I didn't watch The Real Housewives for a bit after I quit drinking because they, that's all they do. I mean, you know, back then, but now a lot of them are getting sober. So, um, (laughs) you (laughs) know, if, yeah, if it's triggering to you, find other things or don't watch TV. It's kind of like, you know, we, we get it this stage of life or any stage of life you're at, you've got to ha- be responsible for yourself. You have to just yeah. say, I'm not sacrificing anything by not watching TV. I can read, I could I could journal, I could exercise, I could do other things. So yeah.
2: Of course. And I think we have to be gentle with ourselves in early sobriety and and protect ourselves. You know, we don't have to watch TV with people drinking. Just, you know, get stronger in your sobriety and then gradually you you can watch TV and you'll laugh, you know, and you'll see through all the BS, you know. that there. I was watching one the other day, uh, Ray Donovan. I don't know if you've seen that. He's some Mm -hmm. kind of fix it guy. And he's, you know, drinking all the way through the thing and whatever, drinking whiskey. And then it, it has a break about every five minutes and it says, Ray Donovan, sponsored by Jameson. I mean, it's it's so blatant. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> know, if you're a drinker and you're not craving a, a scotch by the end of that, it's, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think there's just certain things, you know, we're watching and... You know, even in my my lifetime movies that I love so much, or even in Hallmark movies, you know, any kind of movie, like it'll just show up, somebody's drinking wine or or somebody will say, here, Mary, you deserve a drink. Let me pour you a glass of wine. And I'll be like, oh, that's so dumb. And my son always laughs at me. I'm like, that's so dumb. Please, Mary, you don't deserve a drink. You deserve a hug. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I have fun with my husband, actually, whatever we're watching. Um, he'll say, oh, here comes the wine. <laughs> and, and usually it's about three minutes into the movie.
0: <laughs> I fun. know. Yeah. We got to get past that kind of stuff because it's just even if it, it it's going to exist, you cannot use it as a reason to drink.
2: Exactly.
0: So you mentioned that, Laurie, that you feel that things
2: are changing. I do too. Uh, do you remember when we gave up there were no alcohol free drinks for a start and now they're everywhere, aren't they so what what else makes you feel that things are are changing?
0: I think just the the conversations that women are having with themselves and hearing from women I have a group coaching program too that I've been coaching since two thousand and nineteen and we have so many great conversations um and last night actually we had one kind of a, of just some of the things that we've been talking about but just opening up that conversation and and being willing to have those conversations i think that's where we're stepping away from what that stigma is not only of alcoholism and problematic drinking but of sobriety you know i think because people are out there talking about it because you janet have this wonderful community and podcast and and things that you are doing um women especially and men I don't mean to to leave men out of this, but women especially feel so shameful and embarrassed about sobriety, uh, call it what you will. It's an alcohol-free lifestyle, but because of women like you and that things exist publicly now, it's not anonymous anymore um, for a lot of people, that we can come to terms with this and we can change how we view what alcohol really is and and take charge of our lives. So I I definitely see a shift in that just because women are finally going, well I can I can do this too.
2: Yeah. And you know what I really love Laurie, the the sober curious movement, you know, I think what's her name, Ruby Warrington. She really mm-hmm. Did a powerful thing by writing that book, because now you know you can go to a party, and if you're not drinking, and you've you know people are, are harassing you, you can say, well, you know, I'm sober curious. I'm having a um, few weeks without the booze just to see how I feel you know, and I love the concept that sober curious is about seeing what your life looks like without alcohol. So I feel she's removed the stigma. You know, you don't have to say I'm an alcoholic. You can say I'm sober curious. It's, it's cool to be sober curious. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Whatever works for you. If, if yep. you feel like it's something you're curious about because maybe it seems like it's trending right now. Great. I mean, whatever it is, you know, some some women, it's life or death and other women, it's just, I, they wake up one day and <laughs> I do not ever want to be hung over again.
2: Let's face it, alcohol has been trending for decades. So let's surprise you needs to have its turn <laughs> and trend.
0: Exactly. Yes.
2: So if there's someone listening to this, Laurie, listening to us ramble on and thinking, oh, it's all right for those two, you know, I just don't know where to start. You know, if they're in trouble, like we both were, what would you say to them? Because I think reaching out, well, accepting that you've got a problem and then reaching out for help is the biggest step. Once you can do that, things start happening. What would you say to them?
0: Yeah, just that it's that self awareness. It's literally looking at yourself in the mirror and saying no more, whatever, you know what I said, whatever it takes and knowing that you will figure it out. But if you can get connected to somebody like Janet's tribe sober, if you can get connected there and talk to somebody and just, or even social media, I mean, I I don't mean even social media, but it's not like it's just social media. There's a wonderful community there and there's people of all ages who are talking about sobriety and you do find a lot of comfort in that. And there is so much hope in knowing that it worked for somebody else. We got to remember this is you. This is your journey. There's not one size fits all. It's not a fix it for anything. It just, it gives you a chance to really look at your life. I always say, and it just realized, I realized that I didn't need to fix my life. I just... I needed certain things that alcohol wasn't really fulfilling for me, like the normal, simple things, love and peace and a a chance to really connect with my thoughts. So connecting with your thoughts first and accepting the fact that you can't go on and then talking to somebody else and connecting with uh, a tribe of people, very important. Yeah. 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 And, and tell people how they can
2: contact you, Laurie. So there's the podcast 250 and beyond. And what about if they want some coaching or group coaching? How does that work?
0: Uh, the best place to go is my website, which I just uh, launched my new website on Monday. And it's LaurieMassacott.com and then Laurie Mascott on Instagram. Um, always reach out to me there. It's super simple. My website, you just go and click the contact button.
2: So there you heard me talking to Laurie. There was so much great advice and inspiration in that conversation, but I'm going to pull out a few points that really struck me. I'm always fascinated by the way people's drinking evolves over the years. I'm the first person to admit that drinking can be a lot of fun until it's not, until you become dependent and go from liking to wanting to actually needing. And let's remember that 20% of social drinkers will become dependent over the years. And if we are in that 20%, then that doesn't make us bad people, or weak people, or broken people. It just makes us people who've become addicted to an addictive drug. People who will have to do a bit of work to change their habits. And that's where Laurie and myself come in. We've been where you are, and we can help you make the change. As you heard, Laurie did the fun bit in her teens and twenties, partying as a teenager and then working in real estate, earning good money, drinking wine with friends and colleagues. The usual work hard, play hard syndrome. And then it was on to the mommy juice phase. In her thirties, Laurie felt rather depressed. She put on weight and found her high pressure job was all becoming a bit much, she was using wine to drink at home to cope with her stress and she felt trapped in a vicious cycle. Laurie refers to her early 40s as the dark years. She lost her mom to cancer and she found herself getting through two bottles of wine at a time. She had a wake-up call when a family member asked her if she was an alcoholic. That's when she actually realized that alcohol had become the center The centre of everything in her life. Of course, like most of us, she tried the rules drinking only on certain days, drinking red rather than white, etc., etc., which of course didn't work. And like many of us, she also tried to moderate, but of course that didn't work either. In fact, we both agreed that for many of us, it's only when we try to cut down that we realise the extent of our problem we realize that we've crossed a line with our drinking and it's going to take more than a bit of willpower to make the change. So if you are busy trying to moderate or making up rules to control your drinking, please save yourself a lot of heartache and take a complete break. No need to use the F word, the forever word just yet. Take a break. In fact, every drinker needs to take regular breaks to test their dependence. Alcohol is insidious and it creeps up on us. Tribe Sober have just opened their annual Dry January fundraiser, which offers community and online support for 30 days. So please go to tribesober.com and check that out. Playing the movie forward is a very popular tool in our community. Lori found herself playing the movie forward 20 years and was horrified at what she saw. She knew her drinking would escalate over the years and decided there and then that she was done. She poured her Chardonnay down the sink and got started on her life-changing journey to sobriety. She used journaling as her key tool and there's so much evidence of the value of keeping a journal. It helps us so much when we're on this path. We can use it to process our emotions, to note our triggers and to track our journey. In our journals, we can read back to the early days and see how much easier it's getting and realize how many benefits we're experiencing. And of course, the more benefits we do experience, the less likely we are to return to day one and start doing the hardest thing over and over again. Exercise was another key tool for Laurie and she educated herself about the best ways to strengthen her body in midlife. So journaling, exercise and playing the movie forward are all great tools which will help us to quit drinking. We all need to create a personal toolkit and we help you with that at our regular Tribe Sober workshops. More info on tribesober.com. Sobriety has given Laurie freedom and peace and when she does feel anxious she now knows exactly how to self-soothe without alcohol. I love the way she said that in early sobriety we have to protect ourselves and then build ourselves up so that we can learn to cope and then we go on to learn how to actually thrive in our alcohol-free lives And that's exactly what we help our members to do at Tribe Sober with our seven-step program. We both agreed that ditching the booze in a world full of drinkers gives us a sense of power. Laurie feels that she can handle just about anything that life throws at her these days. And I always say that sobriety is a superpower. Because by ditching the booze, we're doing something that the majority of the population would not even consider. Things are changing slowly though and the Sober Curious movement is helping that. Shout out to Ruby Warrington who wrote that book called Sober Curious. So people are getting sober curious and they're beginning to wonder what their life would look like without alcohol in it. Why don't you sign up for our January challenge on tribesober.com and find out. Laurie's podcast is called to 50 and beyond and her website is lauriemassicott.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. Laurie also coaches women on health, wellness and sobriety and you can contact her via her website and she's also on Instagram. Now it's time to open up my phone and go to the first member message that inspires me. This week, I chose one from member Ross, who attended our Zoom workshop at the weekend. It was such a pleasure to get to know the beautiful and brave people that were in the workshop that I attended yesterday. I resonated with each and every one. Our stories are so similar. I wanted to hug them all, and I certainly took away a lot to think about. For some reason, I find the hardest people to talk to about my wine issue are my best friends, who seem to love me just as I am, and they can't see that I have a problem. That's another of the many reasons why you all at the tribe are so important to me. Somebody gets me, somebody understands, and there is no judging. Well done, Ros. you're doing so well, and I'm thrilled that the workshop gave you some new tools and some more sober buddies. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast, and we'd be so grateful if you'll leave us a review. I'll be back next week.
1: Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.